Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcasts, it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. Well, welcome back to part two of our conversation with author, thinker, amazing human being, Tyson Yankaporta. It was a very powerful experience for both Roger and myself, and hopefully for Tyson. And it ends up on the shores of the great ocean of compassion and the web of life, what really matters and why we're here and what we're to live for. It's pretty good. It's very moving, folks. Let's wait in this together. It gets deep. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm starting to think that all indigenous knowledge and wisdom and, and pretty much, you know, the entire human experiment, you know, and way of being that we're, we're here to answer basically two questions. You know, this is your whole entire culture, but also your entire life and your purpose of being here is to answer two questions. How do you deal with change? And how do you deal with ourselves? That's That sounds simple and silly, but that's like your two main questions. And if you can answer them, if you can come up with ways to adapt and move through change, you know, climate change, all kinds of change, you know, massive change around you. If you can deal with changing contexts and if you can deal with the assholes that try and prevent you from moving and changing, you know, within in that if you can deal with the assholes who are constantly trying to destroy everything that you are and everything you have you know if you can figure out ways to do with those two things then you've done the whole project <laughs> that's the whole project that's the two questions right there yeah i don't know i think i answer those pretty well or offer some good ideas and good thinking about that in santor yeah. Just if I, I'm going to say like one good thing about it, it's it's that you're you're reminding me of the people who have experienced near death, have near death experiences, and mm. the question they come back with is you know, or that they feel they've been asked is how well have I loved? Because mm. mm. that's all there is. Mm. There's no self to actualize. It's everything that you are is just a web of relations. You are a relational net. And that's what you are. <laughs> uh, no yeah. one else has quite the web of relations that you have. And you are just, you exist in obligation to those. Mm. Yeah, it's what empowers you, but it's also what holds you in check. And it's both positive and negative feedback loops. Yeah, it kept me from killing myself. That web. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's when you wake up every day going, oh, man, I want to die. And then it's like, no, I got to look after these people. <laughs> That's it. 
And it's like, oh, man, well, what's everybody going to like? Yeah, how will they deal with it? You know, they're just going to like, that'll just mess them up for years. I can't do that to them. Yeah. But then every now and then it just, uh, it gets that bad that, you know, you can ignore that. And then, and then you have another shot at it. And uh, anyway, I, I was I was incredibly lucky. And there's, I don't know, there was this one experience I had, and it's in the city, so it's weird that it happened like this. But, you know, uh, how can I say this without triggering people? Anyway, I'm right on the point of it. And then this freaking owl came, and the owl came and, like, flew right in front of my face and then stopped and landed right in front of me. And it's just glaring at me and wouldn't stop, wouldn't go away until I got down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's just been experiences like that. You know, when people have yanked me back onto the platform at the at the station or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, there's been a hole in the bag. And I don't know, that hole wasn't there before. Now the hole's there. You know, like stuff happens. And you're like, okay, so, all right. So I've got to stick around for a bit longer. You know? Yeah, these things happen, and I'm glad they happen now, like like that. Well, you might resent them at the time. Yeah. You might have to cut all that. That might. That's the kind of stuff I had to cut out of the book. Yeah, feels like this is very real, Tyson. Very, yeah. Well, very- well I, I hint, I hint at this in the next one, like, but it's stuff you won't know unless you get the references, because you know, even though I was spiraling downwards, I was still spiraling. You know, like I built the whole book, like it's coded and layered, like, you know, in in that many ways. And so, you know, I can talk about, you know, I I can encode the idea of suicide in there because I'm referring to the harpies, the harpies in the trees in a certain circle of hell, you know, and they're the ones who, you know, it's in the circle of hell, it's for violence. And so they're stinging, they're stinging stinging people for all eternity who are suicides you know, in the trees. And so anyway, I just refer to those harpies and say, like, you know, I'll stay away from the harpies. Stay away from the trees because there's harpies in there. And and I can tell you from experience, they sting a bit. <laughs> they, they, they give you a good nip. Like, I'll, I'll say stuff like that. That's not quite saying, you know, all the bits that I had to take out about suicide, but it's there, like this coded stuff. Yeah. But I boycotted most of those, most of that circle of hell anyway, as a, as a protest until the Minotaur agrees to, to let all the sodomites go. You probably don't deserve to be in that circle of hell just for being gay. Like, you know, anyway, in the end, at the end of that chapter, the Minotaur agrees to free all the sodomites, but he doesn't agree to stop calling them sodomites. Anyway, we'll, we'll fight that battle another day. That's progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll 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 work on the Minotaur's language uh, on another day. Yeah. Oh, he kept some of them though. He kept some of the sodomites there because they were also like uh, lenders during during the the lead up to the global financial crisis. They were they were selling bad mortgages, so I had to keep a few of the sodomites there. Mm. Which anyway, I think that's funny. <laughs> it's, just, it's me talking to the Minotaur in the, in hell. Yeah. I guess that's what it's like to live in two worlds, you know, yeah. one above and one below. Yeah. And how's it feel now with a little more balance looking at those two worlds? Yeah. No, it's just, it's just, they're, they're, that's what, that's what makes this book. I, I can't see it. It's like occluded to me. I can remember bits of it in isolation like that, but I can't see the whole thing. 
So I guess what it's like is just sort of trying to look back at something that's uh, really hazy and it makes no sense. You know, it's um, yeah. it's dark and it's patchy and there's uh, the memories are, um, I can't trust them, you know, in bits and pieces. But, you know, most of my life has been like that. You know, I, like, uh, I don't have, I think my first memory that I, as far back as I can remember is about age six or seven. I don't really remember anything before that. And then I only remember bits and pieces, you know. So my my memory's always been like that when it comes to experience. Anyway, now the book is like that. It's really weird. And sad talk too. Like I used to know it backwards. I used to know that book backwards, you know. And I could talk about any page in that whole book. And now it's just phasey, hazy memory to me, fuzzy. Phasey is a cross between hazy and fuzzy. I just invented a new word. Tyson, you you mentioned that Melbourne had one of the harshest lockdowns in the whole world, and uh, mm. a lot of people went pretty nuts around there. And oh my god! Your episode on on your podcast, the other others. There's an episode there on on the rise of the anti-vax movement and the fact that the Aboriginal people had themselves gone. A lot of them had gone down the rabbit hole around the anti-vax stuff, and you said we're mm. marching. Marching with, you know, neo Nazis, etc. Yeah, caught in the middle because you, yep. you somehow retained your perspective on that and a kind of critical attitude. Where lost, it sounds like you lost a lot of friends at that time. Yeah, no, I have lost a lot of friends. <laughs> I've lost a lot of readers too because half the people who are reading Sand Talk were, uh, you know, like a, a pe- like so people who have a militia in a compound really enjoyed that book. You know, they, they, they feel like they're getting paleo wisdom on how to be an alpha male or something. I think those people like my rough, angry alpha voice, you know, mm-hmm. and the way I talk, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The Manosphere really liked me. Lots of crypto fascists really liked that book. You know, I guess because I was watching so much Russia today, I was like, yeah, I, well, quite a bit of my discourse was bending that way. And was like, I don't know, a bit dog whistly without me even really knowing it. But uh, yeah, COVID did exacerbate things and accelerated things in the dis- disinformation space, but but also just in the whole radicalization and polarization, you know, of everybody and everything all at once. Yeah, I don't know. Things things became pretty clear to me, you know, that these are not innocent or fun things, and it's not just like, oh, well, you know, I just have my opinion and all that sort of stuff. It's like, well, if you just have your opinion, then if you're not going to take responsibility for it, then you should probably keep it to yourself, you know? You have relational obligations in this world. And It's a very good point, Tyson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But people feel like because it's free speech that they don't have to put any effort into forming an opinion and that they can just do and say what feels good, but then spread that. And then actively try and recruit people to that because it makes you feel good. But it's like, have you thought it through, bros? Have you thought where this leads you, where this takes you? Have you thought where this takes your family and your friends and all the people who are listening to you? It's not good. <laughs> anyway, that's where all these influences go. And that, that's what this second book is about. It's it's trying to wind back that. It's trying to undo the damage that I did in the world through some of my discourses in Sand Talk and you know the contributions I made towards you know, that whole sort of influencer culture and, um, 
uh, all the rest of it. That just exploded over COVID, Roger. Yeah. What was it that enabled you to keep a balance during that time when the world was going even more crazy? Weirdly, it was just, uh, you know, because of, you know, living in suicidal ideation all the time, you know, and having my particular pathology gives you a lack of self-care. I just, I have very little self-care. So I don't really, I don't really, I don't know, like I don't have to, you know, manage my image in public. I don't have to do perception management. You know, I don't have to like project, oh, this is what I want people to think of me like that because I, I, I just don't care. And it's not not that I don't care out of a lack of care for others. It's just a lack of care for self, you know. So I think that's what enabled me. That's what's enabled me to do that. It's just a lack of self-care. It's not coming from any special qualities because a lack of self-care is actually a bad thing I've realized since I got medicated. It's not like, it's not just a pathology. It's, I don't know. The problem is, and this is what I've been forced to ask myself, how can you care for others if you don't care for yourself? And here I am all the time valorizing relatedness as a way of being in the world, valorizing kinship. And, you know, I'm, I'm always putting on a pedestal my relationships. These are the things that are the center of my life. But I think I'm overcompensating with those, you know, because I have a lack of self-care. And if I don't care for myself, then how can I really care for all those people, you know, because they care for me. And, you know, it's supposed to be reciprocal, a relational space that's built between two people you know, is supposed to have that push-pull. It's supposed to have that engagement. And I'm only halfway engaging if I don't care about myself. And that's that's the trick. It's out of balance. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. That's it. That's it. You know? Yeah. But I guess being out of balance in that way allowed me to see a whole heap of stuff. It allowed me to see what the problem is with uh, personal development, personal growth, self-help, all these kinds of things. It's allowed me to see the problem of developmental models you know, whether it's for a nation in terms of development or whether it's for a human being in terms of, you know, integral theory or anything else like hierarchies of needs or anything. Yeah. Developmental models are just, they're rubbish. They destroy relatedness. They destroy everything. They have everybody focusing much on themselves. I'm not following that. How how is that? How do do developmental models destroy relationship? Because it feels like as people say mature they become more effective at relating yeah well you're gonna have to read the book for that okay i'm not gonna spoil it you're gonna have to buy the book (laughs) i need to sell a few of these things if i sell enough of them i'm gonna buy some land back off you bastards i'm gonna (laughs) buy some of my own land back if i sell enough of these well i don't own any of it so you won't be buying it from me (laughs) (laughs) no but it's just you are like you bastards yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an icon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have time. I don't have time to compartmentalize everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to have to paint you all with the same brush. Yeah. Settlers, colonists, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I'm only joking. I don't, I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am, I'm pretty good with, uh, with that, actually. My, my elders call me the, the settler whisperer as a joke. You've got a lot of identities, Tyson. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Anyway, 
but I'm glad I'm glad I echo what John said you know, about the balance. I'm glad you're looking you're, you're seeing the importance of looking after yourself and that that's a real contribution to everyone. Yeah, that's it. And that you you can't you can't care for other people if you don't care about yourself. But I still have the habits that come with that. Even though I started to care for myself, I, I just I, I don't know how to do it. So I, I guess I still have, you know, lingering tendencies to, you know, be able to critique myself without really caring too much. Well, I think there's a book in all this, your journey and the stuff that we've been talking about here. Yeah. It could be Yeah. Yeah. The next one's it's gonna be I'm gonna try fiction this time, straight fiction. Yeah. I'm going to do a, an Australian climate apocalypse version of, of Steinbeck's uh, Mice and Men and do that. It's going to be me at 60 walking around, you know, from, you know, cooling station to to militia compound to settlements you know, across like, you know, with, with waves of climate refugees across this entire continent. But it's going to be me and my massive autistic son going around, and I've got no access to meds, and I'm trying to figure that out. So it's going to be like Steinbeck. And anyway, my little son, he's going to be, is it Lenny? Yeah, yeah, in, in Steinbeck there, you know. But in the end, you know, it's, it's, it's going to have a bit less of the misogyny and all that kind of stuff. And I know it's going to be interesting. So I'm going to do an apocalyptic mice and men. That's my plan at the moment anyway. Mm. Okay, well, maybe after that one, I want to put in a plug for John, what John's saying, that just a memoir of your your life and your experience and how you've worked with bipolar and come to this point and how you've managed to somehow manage to be so creative during those those lows mm. and highs. And how you've- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to read one of those at the moment. Can't even remember her name. She's a psychiatrist, got bipolar. Yeah, it's it's boring though. It's not much of a paint page turner. <laughs> Reading about someone just talking about their own life. It's like, oh, come on, man. I don't know. Normal lives are a bit boring. Well, you said in your book, the one I read, that stories are the way we finally get things that we retain. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah. Make yeah, a good young person. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it autobiographic then, but uh, and I'll take your advice. But I'll just make the setting sort of more interesting, like dystopian uh, science fiction setting. Just, just you know, just so the readers don't get bored. I do feel an obligation to the reader that you've got to excite them at least once every couple of pages, uh, or make them laugh. Otherwise, what the hell are you there for? Well, I think an autobiography would be a real contri- contribution, and I don't, <laughs> I don't imagine you you'd be writing something boring. Yeah, yeah, I'll try not to, but you never know. I'm like I'm medicated now. I might just be boring as hell. <laughs> mm. Well, so far, not so much. So I wouldn't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. Hey, I tell you, it's been weird. I like I have no idea how this is working out. So people have started actually publishing interviews again now, but for the last year, I've been doing. At least one a week, sometimes two or three interviews with people for podcasts. But there's only been about half a dozen over the whole year, the whole previous year that have gone up. Because as I got more and more dysfunctional and deeper into that mental illness, I was just, it was just nonsense. People were like sending me emails back saying, sorry, we can't use any of the footage that we recorded for the podcast because it's just gibberish. 
please see someone. <laughs> yeah, the, there was like a, almost a year of that. So uh, 2023 has been like, you know, it's been a bit of a dead zone in terms of media for me. Uh, people have been unable to publish anything that I've been saying. It's just been a, a weird time. Anyway, thank God for medication. Yay, Western medicine, I say. It, it has its good points. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've got a whole bit now that, that bush medicine's great, but it only works in the bush. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be trying to treat the malaises of civilization, then you, you're probably going to want to use civilized medicine. Yeah. Well, maybe the malaises of civilization could be treated with you know, what technically is mm. now called nature deficit mm. disorder. Maybe some nature is, is the remedy, but yep. uh, something with a genetic predisposition and who That's knows, it. meds work. That's it. I'm also like really into the scientific method now. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a convert. I'm like, I'm verifying and falsifying freaking everything, bro. So I'm getting around in my world of playing scientific method everywhere. It's beautiful. Anyway, I'm loving it. Well, mm. I go with that. Sounds like that's one of the things that saved you during the COVID epidemic and the craziness that happened. You were actually reading the data and, and what, the, what the studies showed. Yeah, that's it. Well, it, it actually seems a lot more like indigenous knowledge processes than not the actual scientific method. You know, yeah, it's, you know, we do a lot. We have a lot of very intense peer-based verification and falsification stuff going on like the whole time. Everything's verified or falsified. Everything's tested. Everything is, you know, you, there has to be a consensus, uh, a kind of peer review happening the whole time <laughs> uh, with indigenous knowledge. You know, no, nobody can go off unilaterally and discover something. So, yeah, and when I look at the scientific community, that's what I actually see. When you see pseudoscience or mad science, it's it's the opposite of that. Um, but uh, authentic science is, is, is a communal and uh, careful process. It takes place over long periods of time, and in that sense, it's very similar to indigenous knowledge. And I'm um, and I'm, I'm digging it. Yeah, it certainly has its place, and mm. particularly in our contemporary world, where where the there are umpteen narratives in competition, very ungrounded, a large number of them. There's the you know, the loss of so-called so loss of meaning-making and how do we ground, mm. ground our yarns, to use your word, mm. actual data that, that has some solidity and validity. And, yeah. and then we can make a contribution. But if we're just mm. lost and going down rabbit holes, we're, yeah. we're in, a cult, in this culture in trouble. President Obama had a... Great thing in his autobiography, he talked about one of the great crises of our time being an epistemological crisis. That is, mm, mm. knowing how the hell we can ground our conversations in some sort of shared reality. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and I guess he, you know, he, he struggled because it was at a bit of a turning point. So Andrew Wakefield puts out a study linking autism to vaccines. You know, and he did that unilaterally, did it with funding from big law, <laughs> big legal, because they saw they could make a killing out of the, you know, suing the government and stuff like that. Yeah. And he also did it out of interests that he had, you know, single shot uh, measles and mumps vaccines. And so he went after the, the combo, the MMA combo. Yeah. And it was bad science. It was a tiny sample and it was, uh, the whole thing was bloody rigged. 
as it turns out. But these things take time. It takes time to investigate these things. It takes time to run these same things over and over and see if the results can be replicated. It takes time to debunk them. It takes time to then test them properly with a large population and large samples. And you know what I mean? It takes time to run these tests. And as it happens, it took like a decade. You know, so Obama stood up and so did McCain at the time too and and actually announced to the world it looks like there may be a link between autism and vaccines that we're looking into it. It took 10 years to like do the science properly because proper science takes time. In the meantime, you know, your idiots in the world just went absolutely nuts on that because they're not constrained by any kind of relational ethos or any communal knowledge or collective knowledge ethos as authentic science is you know and they they have a faster cycle reproductive cycle Uh, so therefore the evolutionary cycle for wrong stories is incredibly rapid and obama had no idea about that none of us had any idea about that at the time we're happy to allow we were happy to allow those larger longer deeper cycles to take place you know of of rigor and all the rest but you know we have no time for that anymore we we're going to have to go faster we have to be able people are developing the skills to be able to investigate and debunk something quickly you know there are lots of really good networks of really good thinkers and really good investigators who are doing this and a lot of it is crowdsourced as well because there are just really talented people just online who are able to you know get together and and do group sort of verification things and feed data back to the people who are you know you know authenticating all of this all of this stuff and investigating and putting it all together so you know we're starting to find ways where we can move faster together and collectively have a large diversity of opinion, but share a narrative on reality and what is real. And if you can get even me, like a mad mongrel indigene from the bottom of the world <laughs> who like hates everything about the, the colony and about civilization, if, if you can actually get a fellow like me to line up and share a narrative, you know, with everybody else and an agreement on what is real and what is not in the world, then I guess there's got to be hope for everybody, eh? Well, Tyson, you also have the ability to say I was wrong. And not everybody can do that. Not many people can do that. And that's, yeah, but like I say, that's not a um that's not a positive personality trait. That's just that's simply coming from a lack of self-care. <laughs> it's not because I like I've uh, highly developed, you know, personality or you know, uh, self or anything. You know, it's not because I'm actualized. It's just because I, I don't care. <laughs> I haven't learned how to care about that yet. I will learn how to care and then I'll start lying like everyone else and then I'll be healthy. Nah. I, I'm not so sure, Tyson. My take is Sean's right. You are willing to acknowledge in a way to a degree that most people, probably myself too, aren't, aren't that, oh, I was wrong there, or I, oh, I was doing that from a particular state, or there was this yeah, yeah. this bias that I was under, and that that's a very important thing. I mean, the world would be a different place if all of us were better able to acknowledge we were wrong. Well, look, you know, maybe I'm doing it in a way that looks cool or something, and then people will see that, like you know, especially all these you know fellas online who want to be alpha males and that kind of thing, all the bro science. 
the bro science guys that debate me bro tech tech bros all those idiots out there uh who are following elon musk you know like like weird caterpillars or something yeah maybe maybe they'll look at this and think oh no that 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 could actually be cool i could i could work that yeah you never know then maybe people will be able to you know admit that they were wrong where they were at with their thinking and that maybe they got sucked in by some bad information and by some bad influences tyson you're reminding me of ramdas who was a you know such a oh, yeah. powerful teacher for me and ramdas was a master of acknowledging his mistakes i mean mm. he could be, it was almost the other extreme he barely wait to tell you about them but some of his best stories yeah, were yeah. screwed up and that's it cool like guru he fell for the mm. rabbit hole he went down but he was a pioneer and he kept exploring and bless him uh, you knew that if he was making a mistake he would acknowledge it real quickly and so you could trust him in that way and i used to think you know the really wise mature people never screwed up now i realize everyone screws up but the mature people also clean up and so yeah people- yeah clean up that's the thing yeah. that's the trick yeah there's only just us humans we all screw up okay am i willing mm-hmm. to clean up yeah i think you're modeling that in a very beautiful way sweet yeah yeah How's this dialogue feeling to you, Tyson? Feels very different from any I've heard. <laughs> I don't know. I just make it up as I go along. Yeah, I'd l- I'd like to just be able to talk about the books. I- I've been able to do that before and ignore the context a bit, but I mean, the books are about paying attention to your context and being in your context. You know, mm-hmm. no matter how shitty it is, like being authentically in it, so that you can be responsive to it. So you can be in relation with what's real. Yeah. So maybe it's good that I can't just talk about the books on their own anymore. Like they're separate little things floating in the cosmos. Well, this is today's yarn. You know, this is where we went together. Exactly. I, I feel it was really real, bro. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're BSing us at all. And that's that's big. Well, you you guys can just go through it and see if there's anything that can be salvaged. And I won't be offended if there's not, because like often that there's not. People just go, "Yeah, Tyson, we can't use any of that." <laughs> Tyson, we can use this. This is yep. this is John said it. This is authenticity plus. You are in uh-huh. time sharing your life, where you are, what you've been through, the highs and the lows, and the really highs and really lows, and it's very extremely touching. And I. I'm moved to say something. I'm just, I'm just moved by many things you've said. One of them that you know, you get these calls from people on a ledge, and you get their phone number immediately and call them. And it's like, well, if I could ever be of support to you, I would just love you to give you my phone number and have you be able to call at any time. Wait, thanks, Bruce. Feels like you are really making a contribution, and your life is your contribution. Your authenticity, your honesty, your lack of defensiveness your willingness to put it all out there, that is your contribution. And some of it comes through in the books. And that that's fine. That's uh, that's a great medium. But it's not the whole one. Your, your, it feels to me like the your uniqueness and pricelessness of your gift is your willingness to have this kind of conversation in real time, right now, no holds barred, nothing held back. This is me as I am. That is a gift. That is authenticity. 
that is, and we, boy, do we need authenticity, honesty, and a willingness to, to go with what the evidence shows and to say, oh, I missed that. I was wrong. Sweet. I just, I just, enormous respect for you, Tyson. I'm, I'm mm. deeply, 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 deeply touched by this conversation. I, I really, really appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, that's, that's really good to know. Yeah, no, it's, um, this has yeah. really touched me. And I know it's touched John too. I can see it. Mm. I feel this it. Is- it it takes a a lot of effort for me to not talk like this. <laughs> so you know, talking like this is really easy. It's when I'm I'm I've just lost all the energy and capacity to hold that back and try yeah. and I don't know be trivial. I encourage you to to not try to change it. That this this is this is you and and. You and your authenticity and fullness and wholeness and messiness are the gift you have to give. Yes, we. As a, what's called the Jungians called an epical person, a person who, in, in their own being, is working with the issues of the time. Mm. And, and you're an epical E-P- person. E P O C A L. No, as an epoch. P O C H as an epoch. Epical. Epoch. Okay, epical. epical. All right. Mm. Epical person. Person mm. who who is embodying and and instantiating the issues of their time and working through mm, them. Mm. Oh, my. You're an epochal, yeah. or epochal person. How have you pronounced that word? You're that, it. That, that feels about right. <laughs> and you're also something yeah. else, Tyson. I just want to drop this in. Jung, Jung also had a, another profound concept of the Gnostic intermediary. And the Gnostic mm. intermediary, is someone who translates wisdom from one culture to another. And it requires three processes. It requires first imbibing the, the wisdom of, of one's native culture or another or another culture so deeply that it becomes part of one's being. It requires learning the language and conceptual system of culture you're wanting to communicate to. And then it requires being able to translate out of your own immediate experience into the concepts of the of the other culture so as to create an aha experience. Mm. That's mm. what you're doing. You are taking this, your Aboriginal indigenous wisdom, you are speaking it from your own direct experience, and you are a master of Western concepts, academia, intellectual, intellectuality, or et cetera, et cetera. And you are translating it not only through the high intellectual, but through the, the demo, demotic, as you call it, the common language, in a way that people can get. That's your gift. Well, I, I can thank Dante for that, I guess. <laughs> well, other people, you don't know. Really. <laughs> coming coming to Dante at a young age. Yeah. 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 Is there any, Tyson, is there anything else you'd like to, to say? Well, it'd be great to just keep yarning all day. Like for a few days, that'd be awesome. But I've got to go and look after this little boy. Yeah, yeah, he's starting don't. to make make those bereft sounds that he makes okay. from time to time. Yeah, Tyson, thank you so much. I'm going to send you my phone number if I can ever be of support. I'd love to be. I again, such deep respect, a deep bow to you. Thank you for all your good work, and thank you for uh, for hanging in there and not jumping off a ledge or anything, and, and <laughs> being around to to contribute in the enormous ways you do. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, it's been really good. Thanks, John. It's really been good. Mm-hmm. Your big heart is going to lead you through this, and 
let us be part of your web, you know. As the man said, all you need is love. That helps us sort all the stuff out when you get down mm. to it. So, anyway, it's been Absolutely. terrific. Thank you, brother. No worries. Thank you, Preston. All right. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.